Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Inland Valley Arts and Literature Show. And uh, my name is John Branningham, and we have two other uh, writers today. Hi, John. I'm Kate Flannery. I'm a writer and lawyer in Claremont. And I'm Ken Johnson, and I'm a writer and painter in Upland, which isn't uh, too far from Claremont. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's the, the next, it's, it's very much emotionally, for me, the same city, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so we um, uh, today we're going to talk about a catalog that the Sassy Museum is putting out on an artist named Dina Miller, and we're very lucky today because we have Kate Flannery with us, who wrote the copy for Dina Miller's uh, catalog, and we'll link you to that catalog too in the um, as we in the in the website. Um, so uh, maybe we should just start with a d discussion of what it, who Dina Miller is and what her artist is, art is like. I really love going to museums, um, and the, my favorite are the kinds where you've got contemporary artists in them, right? And, but you, you, you know less about them. So if I say Picasso, everybody knows who Picasso is. But let, let, let's try to understand who Dina Miller is. Um, Kate, do you have a, a quick description of her and her work? Yeah, Dina is a, 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 an artist who lives in uh, Britain, in Bristol, and also in Italy. And she has a, a, a wonderful story to tell about the love of her life who died some years ago and left her sufficient funds so that she could do that, could live in two countries and travel back and forth and simply do her art. Um, I was introduced to her art by Jean Sassy, who, um, uh, runs the Sassy Museum and produces these wonderful catalogs with absolutely gorgeous um, photographs and, and reproductions of uh, art from some of the artists that we all know like Van Gogh and some of the artists that we don't know as well like Dina Miller. Um, she, uh, in, in order to write the text for this catalog, um, I really wanted to get to know her before I started having a conversation with you. So I did a whole bunch of research and I found some wonderful uh, videos that were online about her. Some of them were formal, some of them were just informal discussions in some of the exhibits um, that she had, had shown primarily, I think in England. And um, <clears throat> I was caught by the fact that she and at one point described herself as a truant. And I thought that was just an interesting way for her to think of herself and to talk about herself. Um, she apparently ran away from school several times during her youth. Um, she, as she said, ran away from a marriage that wasn't working. Um, she was looking for something. She didn't say it in those words, but those, that was the sense I got from just listening to the video um, that uh, several videos that I got to watch. And, and then um, in the course of trying to write about her art, which is so broad, I mean, she does landscapes, she does architecture, she does watercolor, she does oil, she does uh, mixed medium, she does, um, um, you know, just about everything except sculpture. She does wonderful pen and ink drawings. And I thought, what kind of a person can do all of these things, wants to do all of these things, um, really is interested in exploring all these ways of expressing her artful soul. Um, <clears throat> so I, I arranged to have several conversations with her 
And I was talking with Jean about how to put the catalog together and how did we want to group the paintings. And it became a kind of community effort with Dina and Jean and I sort of chatting in emails and also in person um, about how to do that. And we came up with various categories. Um, and uh, there, were, there were landscapes and architecture, there were still lifes, there was what we, we finally decided to call fantastic art, which is sort of fantasy art, but it has a long and treasured history um, in art going back to uh, Hieronymus Bosch um, or, uh, and, and moving into this century with um, people like Salvador Dali. Um, and so, as I was trying to understand her art, I realized that the best way to understand her art was to try to get a feel for who she was as an artist. And uh, I think we've all talked <clears throat> in our uh, various discussions about ekphrastic art, uh, the use of ekphrasis as a, a kind of writing in response to a piece of art. Um, but this was, this seemed to me to be sort of carrying one step beyond that and it was writing to the artist and, mm -hmm. and hoping, hoping by doing that to get us a, a better sense of, of her art. And it was a wonderful experience for me as a writer to do this because of Dina's uh, very wide ranging interests, her very deep and good soul um, and her real um, sense of generosity that I think infuses everything that she does. When you say writing to the artist, how does that different than writing to the individual piece? I, I think it's um, more of, a, if I can use the word, more of a holistic approach. It's uh, whenever you see a piece of art, or at least whenever I see a piece of art, my first thought is, you know, how did that happen? Uh, <laughs> what was going on in the mind of the artist or the heart of the artist? Um, why did he or she choose a particular um, technological approach? Um, what was it about the theme? Maybe it was just, you know, somebody commissioned the artist to do it and so the artist did it. But in just about every piece of art I've seen, there's something else going on and that has to do with what's inside the, the artist. And, and so it's less limiting than writing to the art because writing to the art, you're just, you're looking at a thing and you're saying, well, how, how does that speak to me? And um, writing to the artist, you're trying to get a sense of what it is, what energy, what spirit leads to all of the art that that particular artist produces. Yeah, it reminds me of two things, which one is which um, I, I, I tell my students, my poetry students, that they, it's okay to be reading individual poems, that's good, but they should also need to be reading collections because the yeah. collection creates a, a whole different experience. Then my other thing I was thinking about is, is um, Kurt Vonnegut's novel Bluebeard, which is about a, an artist who studied basically under, um, uh, who's the guy who did the Saturday Evening Post? Norman oh, Rockwell. Norman Rockwell, yeah. And uh, he's like his apprentice basically. Uh, and he, he said uh, with a, an artist like Norman Rockwell or Picasso or any of these people that he admires, you, you should line their pictures up into a, around you in a wall you stay in the center and you've got something, right? You, you've got that, that 23rd painting or something. Um, and uh, it was part of his, his longer denigration of himself as an artist, where he said, you don't get that with me. Cause so that's how I know I'm not a real artist. Um, but 
which is, you know, it's just a very Kurt Vonnegut kind of move. Uh, but but I, I, I'm just wondering if you had that kind of experience, that sort of poetry collection, Bluebeard uh, collaboration. Like you, you get a, a different sense of who this artist is. Maybe there's even a profound understanding by looking at all the work all at once. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly that. And I, I, I've talked many times about, you know, being familiar with, with Ken's art and, and being a, a, a huge fan of it. And then going to see a, an exhibit one time up at uh, Crafton, Hill Crafton Hill College, I think it was, east of here. And, and seeing the effect of seeing all of his paintings that were, I believe, many of them desert themed, um, and seeing them all in a room together with the daylight shining through these huge windows and watching people um, come into the room and be affected by this whole panoply, this whole uh, world of one artist's vision uh, was really a remarkable thing to see. And of course, I experienced it myself as, as you know, Ken can probably talk to it. My guess is he probably felt the same thing, seeing everything um, there at one time uh, with, as a lot of uh, people will say, the art, the art started talking to each other. You know, it was just a really remarkable experience. Ken, I don't know what it added to that or not. Oh God, I remember, <laughs> you know, I had talked with the curator for some time and she came to the house and went through the paintings and selected a large number of them. And, you know, that's fine. But then when I showed up, it's like, I was staggered. I mean, I broke into tears. Mm. I honestly, I broke into tears because I was overwhelmed by the interactive effects of the different pieces. And well, it's just, it's huge. And I, I suspect that Dina Miller is going to be quite delighted when she sees how you have wrapped up this collection and suctioned it out according to the types of works and how different they are between types. Her war pictures do not look like her fantasy pictures, mm -hmm. even though that's when you do war, it's a temptation to go there because, the, because of the extremity of the situation. But I'm looking right now at the picture of her in her studio in front of a, one of her out of the series of people pictures, where as you had pointed out, Kate, in, in your writing, about her, that her best portrait pictures are actually groups of people and their interactions. And I'm looking at this picture of her perched on a chair in front of this picture where <laughs> she's, she has her, hand, her arm propped on her knee and her hand is, is sort of bent over in She's resting her, her face on it. And at the, yeah, thank you. At the same time, the central figure in the, the painting has a mirrored image of, of her posture there, 
but but in the painting there the 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 central figure in the painting is flanked by two other women who don't look dissimilar to her um but are different skin tones so one is warm and the other's cold and removed and and it's almost as if it's two of the shadow personalities of the same person in the center of the painting. And there's yet another person closer and off to the side who's much warmer. And, and so we have this, this, you know, for me, it looks psychoanalytic, um, multi-featured portrait of this person with the identical same color scheme that Dina herself is wearing. Yeah, yeah. So we have this, Dina's, you know, she's a lovely lady and, and quite flamboyant. And her, her clothing reflects that multifaceted, um, lots of sweeping color. And, and here she is propped in front of this this painting and you have to wonder if the painting is actually a self-portrait of her from a psychological point of view. So that's a really interesting insight and I, I, I like it and I'll have to confess I did not see that in that initial photograph and uh, of course leave it to you to see that. Well that's why you pay me the big bucks but, <laughs> but, but look when when you have hmm. the the bigger point is that when you have more objects, then a relationship is formed between them. Mm -hmm. I had this opportunity when I, when I did the Van Gogh book, I had this opportunity to sit down with the curator of the Van Gogh Museum, who had personally curated this exhibit of, of David Hockney's work. And he mixed them in the same room. And so you have these gigantic David Hockney paintings and this little, these little teeny Van Gogh paintings, um, you know, a 10th the size. And even though Van Gogh has wild color schemes, Hockney's are wilder, they're more intense. And when I was sitting in front of the guy I said, how'd you do that? You know, the, the curator, how'd you do that? How did you know where to put these things in the same room when they are so discrepant. And he says, well, it's not about just the paintings. It's about the space in between. Yeah. And that's what you captured in your book. You, yeah. you separated the types of workout and you created a space in between that really spoke volumes. It's, it, as I say, it was a, a remarkable experience. Um, I, I, it, it brought to mind uh, some wonderful moments I had as a, as a teenager um, in, in an Episcopal boarding school in the wilds of Tacoma, Washington. Um, and it, it was not a place where I was very happy, except on Monday mornings. And on Monday morning, every Monday morning at eight o'clock, we had a uh, fine arts class. And we would all kind of stumble into the classroom. We'd all sit down and the teacher would turn off the lights, turn on the overhead projector, and we would spend the next 45 minutes looking at art. And she would talk a little bit, give us something of the history, but pretty much we would just absorb it. Those were some of the happiest moments of my life. 
And when I talked with Dina, she talked about growing up and being surrounded by books and prints of the masters um, as, as we still sometimes refer to them. And she said she didn't know quite what they were about, but the thing that, that she finally figured out was that these are people who did this every day of their lives. They just did, this is what they did. And she thought it was probably the most wonderful thing. You know, here's this six, seven, eight-year-old child thinking, my God, you know, look at that. There are people who just do nothing but this. And I think from that moment on, she was kind of hooked. So I, I, I felt a little, one of many connections with Dina as we were talking about those kinds of moments. The other thing I'd like to say about her, which I think is um, kind of remarkable in that she is very much aware uh, and, and aware of and influenced by uh, art of the high Renaissance. You'll see this in a lot of her yeah. And she, um, she is, I think, fascinated with the sort of Renaissance focus on the human body, but also on structure and form and composition. Um, but instead of walking away from that tradition, she really wants to explore it and bring it into her own work and really build on it. Um, and, and, not so much deconstruct it, but, but build upon it and, and um, uh, see what uh, she can do in terms of learning about it herself, but also to see how it can enhance um, uh, art in general. Yeah, I, I love that scene. It's a, um, yeah. a suspension bridge in Bristol, which is where she lives. And she's, she's done a beautiful pen and ink drawing of it as well. But uh, that's one of my favorite pieces of her. It is it, of hers. It is so detailed and so lovingly um, approached. It you know, just, when, yeah. when I saw this, I, I was thinking of uh, Italian Renaissance, mm -hmm. and it kind of has that feel. But it's 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 right there, and it's it's in England, right? Which is uh, not Italian at all. But she captures kind of that that emotion of of the of the place. Yeah, and that, that wonderful sense of sort of things being tucked into a hillside very, very um, uh, carefully and very, very lovingly in a way. And, and yeah, and that, that, that sort of thing is, is timeless, I think, how we, how we arrange ourselves in cities and communities. And she's very sensitive um, to that kind of um, atmosphere. And she really just brings it out in, in a lot of her work. Um, it, it, it was just, we've had some wonderful far-reaching conversations when, when we've talked um, about community and about people living together and about the places that touch us um, and, and the things that are important to human beings. She talks about um, things that stand the test of time. I, I know we're looking at a, a pen and ink drawing of the Leaning Tower of Pisa there in the background. And of course that may not stand the test of time uh, you know, depending upon how, how much time it has left. But, um, but yeah, she, she finds these kind of things that have been expressed over centuries. Uh, things like the still lifes that you're showing now that are, that are calm and peaceful and uh, something that the human soul needs probably now more than ever. Um, so, so Kate, 
you're talking about arrangement and you're yeah. talking about the paintings being an extension of kind of psychological um, traits or mm -hmm. states. Um, I asked John to turn to page 32, 33 because we have two still lifes. And it's interesting when we were just on that, the, the paintings of, of Bristol and that, that river and, and, and hillside scene with the suspension bridge, there was a, and you mentioned John, that it, it was almost like um, high Renaissance and it was, it's kind of a, a voluptuous sense of place. It was wonderful. You take these two paintings that she did, um, Italian potatoes and Italian apples and pomegranates. And I'm looking at the style of painting and what she conveyed with those. And Jean was really genius in putting these side by side. Or Kate, were you the one who, who decided the placement? Jean, he, he did such a remarkable job of, yeah. of lining things up in the catalog. It was really so, so in the one on the on our left, the Italian potatoes. Uh, can, I, can I just say, uh, remember this is a podcast, so let's yes. describe what we're saying. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going into that. There is, these potatoes are laying on the table and the colors are, are rich, but muted. And it's, it's about a sort of substantive sense of place, like those buildings were on the hillside. Um, when you look at those, I'm, I'm thinking Van Gogh and, um, and his early work in the north of the Netherlands where, where he worked with the heavy rooted in the soil um, people and, and objects and places and how heavy everything was. And there's that except for the, the there's a pomegranate right beside them. And that damn pomegranate looks like Salvador, not Salvador Dali, um, Gustav Klimt. Klimt, perfect. Ooh, Klimt, yeah. or, Klimt or, or, you know, maybe Cezanne, but, but the things are almost floating. It's almost like the seeds in that are just flying out. Mm -hmm. Like, like when Salvador Dali did his, his, uh, his symbols of atomic energy yeah. in, in, in parts of his paintings, they would be three-dimensional. They would just be, be erupting from it. And then the one beside it, it's got that same thing. You see a, a pomegranate in the back of, of this, this with, a, with the batch of apples. And it looks like there's, there's little seeds blowing off into the wind yeah. from it. And the colors are, are much more... Um, impressionistic and much more uh, lighter and and even bordering on expressionistic because there there's so much movement in the painting and I'm just you know this same like like you say Kate this this one artist flipping between centuries in her work it's just extraordinary I, th I think so too and I, I think it she almost has what I would call a kind of 
reverence um, for what has gone before and what you know some of the the great um, have have done in the past. But it's not a kind of um, she isn't held back by it. She isn't um, stuck in in either their technique or their themes or um, their materials. She really is using them to inspire her, which I I think is a um, a remarkable thing in, in an artist today who really digs deep back into um, the kind of foundations um, that we're all familiar with and, and, and tries to bring them forward. I think she does a remarkable job of that. Yeah, it's, and, it's, she's, she's not copying, she's building upon. Exactly. exactly, standing on the shoulders rather than replicating. And, and Kate, you're writing um, about this. I was just stunned by by the way you were able to articulate those, those um, you know, what's essential about the different clusterings of her work and how they spoke to one another anyway. Yeah, and it, it really does. It goes back to, I think, Dina as a person. Um, she is a, a very kind soul, a very old soul. Um, and one of the things that I, that we, we spend a lot of time talking about, and that is about communities of artists. Mm -hmm. And it's something that, that she has found during the pandemic, uh, when we've all been isolated and forced to sort of build new um, connections with each other through different technological uh, means. She said, this is such a rare opportunity today for artists and writers who are also artists um, to talk to one another and to work together and to, to make this an international effort, which is something that Jean Sassy has really been building, building upon, I think, over the many, many years to sort of um, get people together to, to talk about art and to talk about the connections between artists and different kinds of art. Um, and and I, I guess this goes back to um, ekphrasis and, and also to the promise that I think is inherent in a place um, like California Imagism Gallery, where it, it really is designed to be um, a place where artists of all kinds can come together and, and talk. And I'm, I'm really hoping that um, when, when Dina visits us on, on uh, Saturday for the Sassy Museum Art Talk, that can be the start um, of a huge conversation that we all start to have with each other because we're all after the same thing. We're all after you know, expressing what we think is um, worth expressing and doing it in such a way that maybe words can't do completely or art can't do completely. Um, but together, um, mm -hmm. there's, there's so much promise there. Yeah, it's interesting. These, these great communities that have come together over the centuries, I think of uh, the Bloomsbury Group and you know Paris in the 20s and all of these places where you, you don't really see those divisions of, uh, well, I'm, I'm a writer, I'm gonna just be with writers and I'm an artist, but it's a, it's a the synergy is really, really foments something gorgeous. And we've got that potential right now more than we've ever had. Uh, because of the internet. Um, uh, but it's, it's both potential and it's also, it's, it's very difficult to be on the internet and to, to try to do anything. 
there's something there's something about it that flattens it out. But uh, you just have to be aware of that. I think as, as you as you go forward, I really love what what Gene's doing in the museum, and I, I love that he's got catalogs like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're so accessible. That's the thing. There's no charge. You just go online, and there they are. Um, yeah. And you can just thumb through them to your heart's delight. And and the production quality is really exquisite. It's it's I've you know I've I've gone around during the pandemic and visited various museums. Um, uh, in Europe and, and here just to get out um, in a way. And, and in terms of the production quality of what he puts together, it's really extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I think that that's maybe a great place to stop for the week. Maybe we'll return to this next week. I'm, I'm not sure, we'll see. Um, uh, thank you, thank you all for being here. Thank Thanks, you, John. John.